And by the way, it seems like Facebook has billions of experts on on uh, any infectious disease. So, um, yeah, that's, that's great that we have so many doctors <laughs> in this in this world. Welcome to America on Tap, a podcast discussing the issues impacting my generation, your generation, and our neighbor's generation. I am your talented host, Juan Franco. This season of America on Tap is focused on the 2020 election and all its implications. My guests and I will be nerding out on politics so you don't have to. Come on, let's get to it. Welcome back, folks, for another episode of America on Tap. Um, as we know, the terrible pandemic that we've now, no- now known as COVID-19 has been ravaging a uh, large part of the world and, and has really taken a, a big hit in the U.S. Um, but to discuss today kind of what comes after, right? Like, I think discussing what will happen when we reach that turning point, I asked my friends Alejandro and Ryan, two friends in the pod, to kind of share their thoughts, too, on, on how we think this will all end and what, what the future awaits us in the political scene. Um, so, Alex, uh, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, this is uh, Alejandro. Uh, I'm a, I've been on the podcast for a few times now. The field is finance, and I have experience kind of both in finance and economics, but kind of on the side, I, I follow pretty closely, and I think the intersection of, of politics and economics are, are probably my, my, my strongest area. Um, yeah. This has kind of turned everyone into a polymath, right? Everyone's like uh, immunologist yes. <laughs> and, you know, economist and mm-hmm. all these other hats. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it should be a good conversation. Well, and, be- and before I let, I let Ryan uh, introduce himself, I do want to make perfectly clear that no one on this podcast has any kind of medical training. So everything we're discussing, we're discussing through the scope of politics and our uh, opinions. That's a great that. point. And then Ryan? Uh, Ryan Demore, Overland Park, Kansas, officially now. Uh, officially, officially, good. good and good, good. I will say the last time I took a science class was my senior year in high school. So not a, <laughs> not a scientist or a doctor at all. <laughs> See, so if you have any questions about policy or politics, give us a call. But anything else, please <laughs> abstain from doing yes. because we won't be able to tell you anything. Um, okay, so to get us started, I, I think the first thing I'd like to kind of decipher with you guys is framing it within in the political context. Who are the winners and the losers of this whole uh, pandemic, right? Because I think um, whether fairly or unfairly, people and by people I mean voters are going to be looking for someone to blame, right? And so, and, and you know, again, it's maybe unfair, right? But they are going to do that. And so I think let's start off with maybe discussing the president, right, President Donald Trump, and how we think he'll be seen in history and, and right after this, this pandemic. Alex, you want to start us off? I mean, you, you want to give kind of an overview of where you stand on how the president will be judged? Sure. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it, it's kind of, I think as most of the, with most of the corona things, it's hard to see, like the future is so murky, right? You can see a week ahead, you can yep, see a month I ahead. Agree. But I think anything that, that, that I say right now is, is going to be proven wrong. But my yep. guess is that, uh, that Donald Trump is probably going to be a net loser from this. It seems that polling numbers are down. I think he was very surprised that people don't think he's doing a great job. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Donald Trump is going gonna, is, is gonna to benefit from this. I think that uh, nationwide, I think he, he faced his first big crisis, right? Like, you know, Bush mm-hmm. had 9-11 and, and Obama had the great financial crisis. Correct. Without a doubt, this is right. Donald Trump's, you know, major major political crisis. issue and I, I don't think he did a good job handling and I think most people on both sides of the spectrum would agree would agree on that oh, really? now the political out you know impact of that is hard to measure I don't know whether the yeah. hardliners are, are going to stick with him and and how the how this is going to come out in November but I think generally this is this is a net negative for, for Donald Trump yeah 
I would agree, Alex, and to echo your point about hardliners, right? I, I don't think those people are abandoning him, right? I think that, I, I, on, to be honest with you guys, I confirmed that whenever the, um, what was that, the tape? I forget what was the Hollywood tape that came out um, in the campaign back in 2016 when he said the famous grabbed him by the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, and people and people still said, and, and you know, moral, so, supposedly voters that vote on moral issues, right? Still said, that's my guy. At that point, I realized he's not going to lose mm-hmm. those folks. Right. So I don't, I think, I think you're right there. I don't think Carolina will abandon him. Ryan, what, how do you think the president has done? Well, I, I think he has surrounded himself with uh, very smart people like Dr. Anthony Fauci and Anthony Dr. Brooks. Fauci. Uh, I think I'm saying her name right, mm-hmm. Bree, something like that. Uh, and I, I think how he chooses to use the, the people he's surrounded himself with is, is totally up to him. You know, how a leader picks and chooses uh, their uh, advisees or advisors. Uh, is so critical to the success of an administration. Mm-hmm. So, you know, during 9-11, really Bush had Donald Rumsfeld. He had Colin Powell. Yeah. He had Dick Cheney, yeah. right? So uh, the new world that was shaped after 9-11 was very much shaped by those three guys. Yeah. Uh, Condoleezza yep. Rice is in there. I should give credit where credit's due. So yeah. uh, it, it's very it's very difficult to understand the president's motivations and, and see where he actually is thinking because sometimes when he's doing a press conference – He'll say one thing, and then on Mother's Day, he'll send out 108 tweets that Correct. don't even really cover uh, COVID. <laughs> and I, well, let me or or Mother's Day. Or Did Mother's you say something Day. about actual Mother's Day? Yeah, and it's 108 <laughs> tweets and counting, and it's only 8:11 where he's at right now. So, mm-hmm. um, I I think you know we're we're still in the early parts of this ball game. I don't know if we can really call a baseball game at, uh, at in, in the fifth inning. So, but at the end of the day, Trump's. Uh, approval rating is about 45% average. Um, a lot but is, isn't that where it's always been, though? Yeah. I feel like that's pretty consistent, right? You know? Like, it's not, it hasn't taken a dip. No, I think what it shows is that his base, uh, the 46% of America that voted for him, uh, are not abandoning him and they're not going to leave. Like, no. because the, yeah. the fear of the unknown, which the uh, Biden presidency mm-hmm. is so scary to them. Mm hmm. I think you're right there. I think that those people are definitely not going to leave. And, 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 to, and to kind of echo this other thing is that um, I think that important here is that I don't think Trump is, the President Trump is known as a crisis management, right? Like, um, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't think he's someone that really is known for his ability to handle complex situations and know how to do it, right? He's, he's very proactive to like, um, do, like, he's very like prone to doing things like on, on the back. Yeah. And, 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 this, and this is a crisis that, I mean, you mentioned Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Burks, as, as people have been in government for, for years and years and know their stuff, right? These are nonpartisan medical professionals um, that I think should be at the for, a spotlight. And to a certain extent, they have been. But it seems like the more Trump looks at polling and the more Trump looks at uh, economic data, the more he's sidelining these folks in, the, in, in place of putting people that can speak about the great recovery, right? Um, the so-called great recovery that we'll see. But in, is he? I don't know. It feels it feels premature to me to be doing that when we really haven't. I mean, it seems like we've flattened the curve at this point, but we're not really seeing a decrease yet. Right. I, I think to be a good crisis manager, you have to have impulse control, or at least someone in your moment of anger and haste to take away mm-hmm. your phone and say, "Hey, uh, Mr. President, please don't go on Twitter right now because you're going to say something that yeah. makes people, yeah. Yeah. at least makes moderates right. and, and right. liberals lose faith in you." Right. I agree. I agree. That's that's definitely a point. Um, so, Alex, I don't know if you want to mention something that we were chatting before, which is like 
that how this is impacting the campaign. Right. And, and, and I think that that's really interesting. It's it's in in, mm-hmm. in this in, in the moment we are right now, and I think for the past three months, that kind of if you if you think about kind of the future, like the car, kind of there's 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 tons of fogs in front of you. You don't know what's happening, but the rear view mirror is is extremely clear. Right. Everything that's in the past three months is extremely yeah. clear. And what I think I think it's important yeah. to take a pause and say, you know what? We lost three months of campaigning in the middle of a presidential election. Yeah. I mean, if if this if this COVID wasn't happening, all we would talk about is is, is the campaign and just how monumentous yeah. is it that you know Joe Biden and Donald Trump have we not been able that. to campaign mm-hmm. at all. And there's you know mm-hmm. there's elections happening in November mm-hmm. and it's in the Constitution that mm-hmm. they need to happen and they probably they, they probably yeah. will, right? And what does that mean for? for either of their campaigns. Again, it's one of those things where it's so hard to guess. It, it, to me, it feels like Joe Biden is probably benefiting from this. I think that a lot of people who are on the fence yeah, I agree. Uh, see what it's like to have a leader who, who like Ryan says, does not, cannot hold back and cannot control his impulses and say, you know what, yeah. maybe if yeah. we had someone there who was more reasonable, was more cautious, we would have had a better time handling this epidemic. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's absolutely incredible you're, that you're we've right. lost three months. And, you know, we may three months right eventually people will talk about the campaign but is mm-hmm. it going to be kind of mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. summer is it going to be this fall when will people when will the when will the election gain kind of political momentum or in, in the like, when, when will that become more important than the covid 19 pandemic like when will that be exactly a, a bigger exactly. conversation it, it, it will happen right? but is that going to be like the week before the election or the month and i think mm-hmm. that changes things for for donald trump and joe biden i suspect mm-hmm. joe biden will benefit it from does. a longer exposure to Donald Trump's yeah. mis, uh, management of the crisis in a shorter. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to think you're right, Alex. And, and uh, you know, I think within the context of campaigning, right? I think when, when people think of campaigning, they're thinking of politicians giving right. speeches in rallies and whatnot, right? And, and that's definitely part of it. But I think the biggest um, shortfall that has come out of this is the organizing mm-hmm. part. And I'm sure Carmen would be able to provide a lot of insight into this, but it's you're normally getting, you're normally doing get the vote, get the vote out efforts at this point. That's what you're really mm-hmm. focusing on, right? Like, I think if you played a stream of Donald Trump's rallies among, like, for um, independent voters or sweat, people that are in the middle, they would end up choosing Joe Biden. And so, to a certain extent, these press conferences the president is doing are an extension of that, and mm-hmm. it's not going well, right? So you are you are 100 percent right that that Joe Biden is benefiting from this because Donald Trump seems incapable of holding a press conference where he's acting like a commander in chief. And he's acting he, instead acting as, as a political figure that is, is intent on, on snapping at the media and calling out political enemies. Right. When we need when we need to say as a, as a moral mm-hmm. leader at this point. Well, and we're just not seeing that right now. If, if I may interject, I uh, mm-hmm. there's an int- interesting article that The New York Times published uh, about two weeks ago, uh, and it's titled Biden is losing the Internet. Does that matter? So it's talking about how Trump has this massive base online. Uh, mm-hmm. Numbers uh, do matter here. I don't know how many of those are yeah. actual bots, right? Uh, Russian bots yeah, particularly. Yeah. But Joe Biden, compared to Donald Trump, does not have the Internet base that, uh, that Trump but, does. But should he, Ryan, though? Like, I, don't, I, I think it's an unfair comparison in the sense that, that, that Donald Trump is the president. No, I, I totally agree oh, yeah. If you look back at Barack Obama's numbers when he was president, he had a specific Twitter account for his presidency, which is all archived now. Yeah. Um, they yeah. do tend to have a larger base, right? But it, it kind of goes to the point where Joe Biden is successful when he gets uh, face-to-face, shakes your hand, he does. and, and touches you know, your shoulder and, and gets to know you. Mm-hmm. Um, Donald mm-hmm. Trump, on the other hand, is better in the massive rallies or online when he's Correct. Uh, sending out a 2, 2 a.m. tweet about uh, <laughs> uh, General Michael Flynn. So 
I don't think I don't think Joe Biden was prepared uh, for an online no, race. No, he was not. And I don't think his supporters were. I think uh, Bernie Sanders' uh, supporters were because they're basically all yeah. online basement dwellers. They, that's true. That's um, true. And uh, on uh, definitely have a massive impact on Reddit still. But it, it's just interesting to see. It's it was unpredictable though. That's the thing, right? Like I think if we were at where we're at now with the pandemic, like back in January. Maybe the race would have gone differently, right? Right, but back when back when um, Super Tuesday happened and the South Carolina primary happened, I mean, the U.S. still was very much in its infancy when it's when it's, about this pandemic, and so folks were making a decision based on what they knew at the moment. But it changed very fast, right? I, I think you're right too, Ryan. That Bernie probably had a better chance at transitioning into a quick digital campaign, right? Than Joe. I mean, did it not take Joe Biden like a week to install some kind of studio well, in his house? I think like, it was like nine days to get his basement studio ready. Yeah. And when they unveiled the Which studio. I don't get that, right? Yeah, it was just a bunch of shelves. And it's just like, was it, yeah. would you have to run wire? Like, what's the deal? Did they not have Wi-Fi? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't understand that either. That, that Someone there. I do think. That one. Super quick. That, I do think that the, the, the COVID kill any viability for Bernie Sanders, right? Where, like, I think everyone knew that he mm-hmm. his, his his path to to. to to the presidency was was non-existent he probably would have stayed in and fought a little bit longer but then he was like you know what there, there's just oh no yeah way. like oh, there's yeah. no political oxygen like you can't get momentum, you can't get traction and mm-hmm. people are just going to know what we'll go with what yeah. they know I, I i wonder how that Correct. affects you know does, does joe biden get to get it get a oh, second yeah. win out of this where people when there's no political oxygen uh he benefits from that or does oh there's donald trump i, I don't know right that, yeah that's a great question i mean uh, to compliment Bernie there, I mean, I think he did a version of that pandemic free, of course, but a version of that in 2016 when he when he realized, you know, the danger of the right. President Trump post, the potential presidency of Donald Trump post. And he said in the convention, I, I get cheer, I get like like cheer, like cheers looking at that because it was it was him saying I, I forget the exact like like maneuver that he did. Right. But he it was essentially saying we should all uh, accept Hillary Clinton as a nominee yeah. by proclamation. Right. As opposed mm-hmm. to going through a vote. And that just was just like. I don't know. I can like I get very emotional looking at that because that's the kind of union we need to see. And he did the same. I think he recognized we don't only only have Donald Trump this time. We have a pandemic. I don't think it's responsible mm-hmm. for me to say, yeah. let me continue this race. And he stood aside and gave Joe a, a very very solid endorsement. And I mean, whenever we can have rallies, I will look forward to seeing them together because without a doubt, a thought leader in this country. Yeah, it kind of seems like the Democratic Party has consolidated, which is a good thing. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it hasn't been as unifying as we've expected just because things are so divisive right now as a country. They are. They really are. They really are. Like, it's just, it's just hard. I mean, in, in many ways, we're framing this pandemic through the political lens. Yeah. Right? Like We're like, in, in states where they're both democratic, we are under the impression that they're doing the right thing. But plenty of people are like, let me out of the house, you know? So yeah. it's very much this is kind of- a political game. Super quick. I, like I just think, oh, I, just yeah, back no, in mind, I think this is kind of a, an impossible exercise, but I think the key to this election is what is your average Donald Trump voter going to do? I mean, I just thinking of the demographics, the person who voted for Donald mm-hmm. Trump, it was like, mm-hmm. eh, I don't know this, but like, you know, I think we need someone who's not a politician. And now this time around is like, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't yeah. mean it in that way. Um, I think that's yeah. going to be the key to the whole thing, <laughs> that swing. And, and, I, and I don't know what it is. I don't know how, what the demographic is there or what, what the geographic dispersion is there. But I think that mm-hmm. whoever captures mm-hmm. that group is going to win. Uh, of course. I mean, it's, it sounds like obvious in a sense, because every year, every election yeah. year you're looking for that swing voter. But particularly now, I think those voters will feel that tinge of conscience of saying, wow, I voted but, for but this I think Particularly now, it's hard to know what they're well. going to do. I mean, that's what's you hard. Know? I, I don't know. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 
I guess we'll have to wait till November because after 2016, <laughs> I don't really trust Poland very much. No. Um, okay, I, I like to take a chance to discuss China within all this, right? Because within the political context, I think China was, before the pandemic, was really going for this, um, trying to be the new superpower, right? They were investing heavily in Africa. They were uh, doing trade deals all around the world and doing all this stuff, right? And um, I think I am of the mindset that this pandemic will, even though now they're trying to be some kind of like savior, sending masks and all these things around the world, I am of the mindset that this pandemic will hurt their chances of becoming that superpower. Right? Like they, they, in my opinion, they like botched this whole thing and they kept things secret and private and they allowed for the, for the virus to fester far longer than it should have been before they shut things down. And even if they're trying to do this now, I don't know if that's going to be um, impactful long term. What, what do you guys think about this? I tend to agree with you, Juan, that this is going to not hurt. It's going to hurt the Chinese effort to, to become, like you said, right, the, the, dominate, the dominant uh, world power. But I don't think it's going to stop them, right? Like, I that negative. No, not no, only they're going to still try. So like, there's a good chance they succeed, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. 36 months from now, 40 now, or whatever. I don't think this is going to stop, you know, government in, in Africa or across uh, to, yeah, to receive the aid, to accept the, the, the help, and, and particularly uh, yeah. the spot kind of backed off from as, you know, the dominant the cultural and political player. Yeah, yeah. I guess what could, what could be a factor there is if a Biden presidency takes place and we see a mm-hmm. U.S. resurgence of filling in that void that Donald Trump left, right? Maybe we'll see some kind of balancing out, right? Like we don't, we won't see the China being the only the only player in Africa, for example, yep. because the US will be, be back there. Um, maybe that will be the only thing that could stop it. Yeah, that that would be great. But I, but I think I, I do agree with you too, Alex. That I mean, for whatever reason, and mostly that's because countries are going to need the aid and the money. China is a very lucrative and very interesting partner for a lot of folks, uh, and and they're not shy about using that. Yeah, I I think what we kind of tend to forget during all this is that the U.S. and China are still involved in massive trade negotiations, you know, like trillion dollars on the line for for both Mm -hmm. economies. And that's obviously been halted because, you know, Chinese uh, production has been slowed and and U.S. shipping has been slowed. But we're still in I think we're still at like at phase two trying to hammer out the deals of what the future of Chinese U.S. relationship is going to look like. So. it's it's a really unknown uh, uh, unknown variable right now is to figure out is China going to uh, basically make reparations and say hey yeah we kind of uh, misled you guys uh, we'll we'll take some money off the top like don't worry about paying this or whatever it's yeah. gonna it's going to I think impact the trade negotiations and and that's oh, scary. Yeah, you're right. I mean that's we we discussed it on the podcast before how China is kind of a at a, at a weird advantage in the sense that they don't have to worry about popular opinion at all. Like they just, they just go with it. Well, the U S that's all that matters because politicians don't want to lose their seats. Um, okay. So in, let's, let's switch the gears a little bit and talk about the, who's winning this, right? Like who, who's actually doing something good. And I, and I actually want to highlight um, some of the governors, right? Some of the, of the, you know, folks in the middle of the country and, and some of the coastal country, coastal states that are really doing a good job despite the fact that the federal government seems to 
not be doing the all it can, right? And, and I, I particularly mentioning Governor Andrew Cuomo, who I know that has some fair criticism headed in his direction as well, but Governor Mike DeWine, or I think that's how you pronounce his name, from Ohio, um, Gavin Newsom from California, just some of these governors that are really de like de defying even federal standards say we're doing it the right, the right way, not the political way. <laughs> yeah, so I think um, the winners has, has kind of been um, local and state governments, I think, in a sense, because yeah. they have been, you know, on TV every day. And, and we've, we, I got to see uh, Kansas City's mayor in Overland Park, uh, Kansas's mayor for like 12 consecutive days mm -hmm. on TV. Right. So you kind of get to know mm -hmm. your regional leaders a, a yeah. bit better, yeah. which I guess is a win win for everyone, because, you know, local politics so often goes ignored. Um, yeah. And to I don't know if, if anyone, uh, at least people that I follow, are really taking advantage of this. Like, you know, I don't see Governor, uh, I'm sorry, Mayor uh, Quentin Lucas sending out fundraising emails saying, hey, I'm doing a great job with COVID no. or whatever. It's not really yeah. like one of the, it's not coy to, um, to no. fundraise off of this and, and score political points. So this is, I don't think this has anything to do with politics. I think it has to do with leadership and your governing skills. Yep. And, uh, and the, the, the people who are uh, actual leaders and not politicians <clears throat> fighting for election are the ones who are coming out on top. Uh, yeah. uh, Kansas's governor, Laura Kelly, I mean, she has faced massive challenges from the right. And she she, she comes she every really day has. and ready to do her job and try to protect the people mm -hmm. of Kansas. So you got to applaud right. governors in red states, blue governors in red states, and even some red governors, governor of Ohio yeah, comes to I mean, mind. Yeah, uh, Governor of Maryland, Maryland, Larry Hogan, Hogan the, yeah. the governor of Massachusetts, Charlie Baker, I think his name is Charlie Baker. Right? These are all Republican governors in blue states that for some reason, those people get it. But then you go down to Florida, right? And it's like, not at all. Yeah. You know, like it just, it, it really depends on where it's at. But yeah, I, I do agree, Ryan, that it, it is a win in the sense that people get that exposure to the local politician that they maybe never knew. I mean, I'm sure you walk around Kansas City and many other places, you ask for the name of the mayor and most people won't know who that is. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to mention real quick, uh, taking a little trip abroad, I want to mention, it seems to me there's a, a slew of countries that are all led by women who have really been able to handle this quite effectively. You know, and, and, and I don't necessarily think that that's, uh, you know, there are probably places where that's not been the case. But, you know, you look at places like New Zealand, you look at places like Taiwan, Iceland, uh, Angela Merkel in Germany, Denmark, right, was a female prime minister, right? All these places that seem to have really acted pretty fast and have figured things out, right? So I just want to give a, give a quick shout out to that. And I think that's, that's worth folks' time in reading a little more into, just seeing why is, the, why is it that Jacinda Ardern, the prime minister of New Zealand, has virtually eliminated COVID from New Zealand. I mean, there's a long-term impact there, right? They're closing the borders down for, for a good amount of time, but, but they, 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 they were able to control it in a much better way than, than the US has and many other countries that are bigger than that. So I think that's just an interesting factor there. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have any anything there to mention. Just two cents on that. Um, it kind of yeah. seems like most. Well, I don't want to make generalizations or stereotypes, but uh, it seems like the the slew of women politicians don't really care about political uh, approval ratings. They mm -hmm. care about what's doing that's, right that's because point. their entire yeah. life uh, has been mm -hmm. judged and mm -hmm. kind of um, they've kind of been at a disadvantage of men just because of how society is, and that's unfortunate yeah. Yeah. because there's so many great leaders. Um, a, a particular mm -hmm, female mm -hmm. candidate who ran in 2016 comes to mind, um, but <laughs> th they've they've been the target of 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 hate and discrimination Unfair. their yeah, entire yeah. life. So 
Mm-hmm. I think they have a mm-hmm. chance to do what's right and not care about the repercussions, which is losing an election. Yeah. I think you're right there, Ryan. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I think then let's, I, I want to open it up to you guys to see if you guys have any other like winners or, or people that you, or groups or people or countries that you think are doing well, like who's going to become on the receiving end of this? Is there anyone else you want to add? My big winner out of all of this uh, isn't really political, but mm-hmm. it is so entwined uh, with politics. It's, it's big tech. So your Facebook, you're seeing more mm. active daily users just because mm-hmm. what the heck else are you going to do? And by the way, it seems like Facebook has billions of experts on, on uh, any infectious disease. So um, yeah. that's, that's great that we have so many <laughs> doctors in this, in this world. Um, secondly, Google, I think, has, has done a great job. It doesn't seem like Google is losing a lot of money uh, with advertising. And then companies mm-hmm. that have hoarded cash for years, Apple and Berkshire mm-hmm. Hathaway, mm-hmm. Uh, they, they've came in mm-hmm. and kind of came out as winners. Like, well, we were staying on the sidelines with, with buying companies and investing. And, and now we have all of this cash on hand, billions and billions of dollars on hand that we can, mm-hmm. we can survive on. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, this, this, they were hoarding for some reason. Right. And I guess this is, a, this is, this is good for yeah. them. In the sense that they're not going to face a brand that many other companies are facing. Okay, so let's uh, take this chance to take a quick short break and then we'll be back to discuss uh, what we think the political aftermath will be, right? Like, what do we think the domestic politics will look like? Well, we're back for our second segment of this episode discussing um, kind of, uh, I guess, a follow up on our episode we had earlier about the politics of coronavirus, but what will be, uh, we offered an assessment of, of so far who, how, who are the winners and losers of this, of this pandemic. Um, and then now we're here to discuss what will be the aftermath, right? What's coming after the, the coronavirus? How will we get back to normal um, or the new normal as I like to think about it because we really won't go back to normal. Um, and what does that look like there? And so I think let's open it up to discuss uh, first how we think the Democratic Party and the Republican Party will each act uh, following this. So Alex Ryan, who wants to take it first? You guys are free to do so. Yeah, so I, I think um, we're seeing kind of the the new face or the new uh, we're seeing a transitional period for both parties. Uh, in some ways, mm-hmm. we're seeing that Republicans become very very liberal on fiscal spending. Uh, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley is even. I, I am shocked yeah, at him. I yeah, am very surprised. Missouri at him. Senator Josh Hawley is suggesting that the federal government should bankroll up to 80% of, of the payroll mm-hmm. of the United States, which is a substantial mm-hmm. amount of money. Uh, and that's not yeah. to mention the $24 trillion of debt we're in. We're seeing Republican mm-hmm. senators, I think we talked about this last time, Mitt Romney supporting universal basic income, um, which is, yes. I, I yes. guess it's not universal basic income because it was a one-time payment, but they're, they're at yes. least, they're, yes. they're, they're becoming more um, mm-hmm. open to open it. To yeah. that kind of stuff. When, and I think for the yeah. Democrats, they're trying to uh, find their place because, you know, anytime the Republicans are like, oh, yeah, we should give $1,000, the, the Democrats say we should give $2,000. And it's just like, well, are we, yes. are we really coming up with <laughs> solutions or are we, responding, are we responding to what they're saying? Right. Yeah, I think, I think that's a fair point there that uh, it seems that Democrats are intent on one-upping. I mean, I don't know. If, I, I will be completely honest. I don't know enough about their science and their math to know whether the, that is like an amount that actually makes sense. But it seems that they're determined to one up um, everything, anything Republicans propose. I think this, the, and it may a, be that we need that. Go ahead. I know I want to be fair to them. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, just just want to come real quick on, on Josh Hawley and, and, and these folks, right? So um, for, for those that are listening, right, Senator Josh Hawley 
is is a is a very um, firmly Republican, right? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give him the benefit of calling him a centrist, but he's very much a Republican, but has a very independent flair to him in the sense that he, I mean, I follow him on Facebook for some <laughs> reason, and I've seen the stuff he posts, and it's very much like very um, populist, I, I guess the word is, but you know, like very much anti big corporations, very much um, for the individual, right? And and I think yeah, we've seen him. I, I've seen him comment a lot on like. Republicans love talking about colleges that took endow- like money with big endowments, right? He loves going after Harvard yeah. and things like that. Um, which, which like, of course, folks that voted for him like love that, right? They're like, oh, how dare that liberal coastal elite university take money from the federal government? Um, but he is someone that I'm surprised that he's advocating for things that I would normally prescribe to a um, not a Republican, to be quite honest. And so I think we are seeing that trend. No, you're fine. I, I suspect Alex, that, continue, and, sorry, and I know you're wrong you. here, but I suspect that this kind of temporary shift in the spectrum to where a lot of Republicans are willing to to spend money that perhaps they mm-hmm. weren't before. I think it's just, it's just going to be that. I don't think it's, it's a permanent move. Uh, maybe I'll be surprised with it, but I think, like like Ryan may have mentioned, I think eventually the, the tides are going mm-hmm. to turn. Yeah, we've had this and, conversation and when we had that episode in Medicare for All. You can pay for it, right? But at the same so that's time, really not something debt, to figure out. Right? So our, I think the Democrats are going to push mm-hmm. for, for, you know, high settlements mm-hmm. The Republicans are going to push to, to, to cut to cut, and who's going to come out on top? I'm not sure. I mean, we, we can kind of predict who they would want to come on top, right? They're going to make the argument of um, let's cut let's cut taxes for the rich and corporations so that they can in turn create, you know, whatever they create, and that's maybe not the best approach. But we know what it's it's going to end up something like that, right? They're going to they're going to be supporting the folks that put them there in the first place, and that and that's something that I think will be largely responsible if if any if any bill ends up cutting. Medicaid or, or, or Medicare, right? In, in, in hopes of giving um, corporations any kind of, private, like, especially after this pandemic, how are we going to give our most uh, susceptible and people that really need that, how are we going to make sure that they're okay when we're cutting? Right. Like, what, like the question, like, what, after happens, a pandemic? what happens if this happens? You know, again? so that, that's what that worries me quite a bit. Obvious, right? people, people are not going to forget about this, right? 20, 30 years mm-hmm. from now. The, the discourse is going to be what happens when we get another infection and no. and suddenly all these seniors who used to have uh, Medicaid don't or yeah. Medicare. I'm sorry. Right? Yeah, because because it was cut in an effort to cut the debt, right? Like it just it, I mean, every country in the world is going to have to face it. it this is the first time that probably the first time in history where it's not just the U.S. that's having this problem with debt. It's like every other country in the world is having to step in to save either mm-hmm. large job providers or provide stimulus for their citizens. Um, so everyone is on the same boat. So it's a very, very, very interesting, uh, I know, although really sad uh, situation, but it's something that everyone's going through. Something else that I, I, I'm going to boldly predict, I, again, fully knowing that I'm not any kind of doctor or sociologist, uh, but I actually do think that the recovery, once it comes, right, when, once we reach that point where vaccines are, are mass produced and readily available and folks can go back to the new normal, I, I, I do think that the, re- the recovery in the U.S. at least will be very swift. And, that, and that's just based on human nature. Right, I mean, I, the other day I was telling them, I was telling Ryan Alejandro before I started the the, the show that um, on uh, Saturday we actually um, like the area where I live, they closed down a, a few streets and restaurants were able to put seating on the streets because uh, you know to allow for six feet of social distancing and, and only offer twenty five percent capacity, and it was as packed as it could be. I mean, I don't think folks can survive six months of this and not come back out and spend money like. I think consumer spending will be very high. People will be desperate to travel again. 
Um, and they'll be getting on planes as soon as they're able to. And the, I, I do think the recovery will be swift. I don't know if, if that, you guys agree with that. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. You know, you mentioned that uh, if, it, if it does last six months, um, I think, you know, obviously the health impact, physical health impact will, will take a serious toll on our, on our uh, aging communities and our most susceptible. But even, even folks who, um, uh, who have, you know, uh, mental health issues, it's going to have a terrible impact on them. And so if, right. if you or someone you know is struggling with this, the United States government has produced yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a hotline you can talk to, and states are doing this, and obviously there's uh, other hotlines you can you talk to. But, you know, if, if you are feeling mm-hmm. down and depressed like the majority of folks are, talk to someone. And uh, if someone's yeah. talking yeah. to you about it, listen. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really important because you know in, in this podcast we tend to discuss the political side of it, but you are correct, Ryan, that the human element of this like that's a toll that we may never recover from. Yeah, I, I, I was reading an article earlier that uh, suicides are projected to be a lot higher, um, you know, in the in the coming months and whatnot because now that pe- folks are maybe figuring out the the, the money part, right? They got a stimulus check, whatnot, but they're still facing isolation because they can't go outside. They're still facing um, social distancing, right? I mean, physical touch makes you happier in some cases, right. right? Like, it's all these things that we can do. Like, it's defying human nature that it's going to have. If we if put a huge side of the mental health, quick, 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 I think one, that you may be correct that, uh, that the, yeah, yeah, you know, there's this massive influx, there's this pent up demand of people who want social services, mm-hmm. you know, who want to travel, want to go to restaurants, go out. Um, these operations again, the restaurants, airlines, and hotels yeah. are able to pick up pretty quick. But that, but that would be very much best case scenario. That would be like, that, yeah, no, that would be right? like that. I recognize that that's pretty. It happened, right? Like because this recession yeah. is, is created by a virus. Yeah. If you solve yeah. virus, you do solve a great part of the problem. But, yeah, it may happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that both mm-hmm. scenarios are are, are, are certainly a possibility. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what's funny to illustrate that? Uh, both are points, I guess. I, I was reading an, an article about Air Canada CEO saying that it's going to take them four years to return to operations right before the pandemic, right? right? So it, even if people are traveling, right, they're, 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 they're uh, removing all their planes from their fleet or they're, they're, they're uh, uh, eliminating routes, all these things. So it's going to take them four years to, re- to go back to the airline they used to be. But then we had Steven Mnuchin, the Secretary of the Treasury, um, was saying that, it was something on the lines of if it all goes well, we'll have we'll go back to pre-COVID nineteen employment levels by sometime next year, right? And and the, I don't know. I, those seems like to me on this, like, you know, I don't know where we're at, right? Because if we are back at pre pre-COVID nineteen employment levels, everyone should be back yeah. at their jobs. So all industries should be growing dramatic, like consistently. Yeah, I think. So it, it's something that I'm. Yeah, I'm sorry, Juan. Yeah, go ahead. No, yes. I, I think that. Uh, there, there have been companies who have been very poorly managed, who have accumulated a lot oh, of yeah. debt. And I think COVID oh, has yeah. kind of given, given them a scapegoat to, uh, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get out of some of their commitments to employees. Um, that means oh, yeah. safety. That means possible uh, uh, benefits being cut or possible job loss. So I, I think a lot of these companies who have been firing a mass amount of people, Uber comes to mind. They weren't exactly financially mm-hmm. stable. You know, this is a company that they were not. has taken that's on a true. bunch of debt uh, and have to yeah. answer to a lot of yeah, VCs. And so I know this isn't really a platform to talk about what we're suggesting, but I think that the United States and other countries need to tell the companies, big and small, that if you rehire these folks that you laid off or furloughed, 
we're going to give you a massive tax credit. We're going to, mm. um, you know, <laughs> stimulate you in some way. Um, it, it, I think it's just going to come down to that because all these companies are like, well, we're going to survive without these these folks. Um, so the companies are going to be like, well, what's the United States government going to do to sweeten the deal for us? Are they going to are they going to give us some money just, to to help us employ these people again because we no, can't but, afford but, it? But okay, but tell me if this sounds unfair, but I don't know. Like it sounds like we're begging to hire people that they need to hire back anyway. Like I don't want to be giving the tax credits to Uber for hiring folks yeah. back that they have the money to hire. Yeah. Again, it may be that it's unfair, but that's how it's sounding to me, perhaps. And I think it would be very difficult to, because, I mean, 1,200 people at Uber, right? That's a massive amount of folks. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think what would have to happen is Uber would have to go through and say, we fired this person because of COVID. We, have, we fired this person because of COVID. And then show financial mm -hmm. dire straits to where yeah, they can actually exactly. they have to provide a bunch that? of evidence. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, I mean, we, mm -hmm. we can't even really control the PPP uh, currently, no, so I, I can't imagine a, a, a government oversight program on that. I do think there's, I, there's I think no one. Yeah, take something like that, like based on industry. I think restaurants right. will need to hire if they hire these employees. I think federal assistance to make that happen a little bit earlier. Uh, I think hospitality, you know, they, they they also can't like they need the they need the body to to do the work. I think tech firms. It's hard to say. I'm sure a lot of like. Mm -hmm. it's hard mm -hmm. to say whether mm -hmm. you know i think kind of in the context of tech firms they've been in a massive funding boom for the past i don't know about 10 12 years where they've got they've fundraised you know billions of dollars and now that money has has kind of evaporated mm -hmm. um so maybe the uber will find out that mm -hmm. it doesn't need you know 400 people working on it uh self-driving you know that, that that can wait a little bit um yeah so right. yeah i don't tech firms right. to hire everyone back but more like traditional brick and mortar, you know, industries like retail and hospitality, I think it makes sense to, to get that going. Seeing yeah, as that's where it's going to be. probably come back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are restaurants no, food and hospitality, on the hospitality, is that something that, is that the category? Restaurants and like, okay. okay. Well, I mean, that, I, I agree with you. Like that, yeah, I think we're, we look, we like looking at the big companies, right? But I mean, it's a, it's your, it's your small local restaurant, right? It's those folks that because they didn't have the backing of a, major funder and they were running on you know two month savings those are the people that are going to need to, and, and that's the vast majority of americans are employed by folks like that and that's what's going to have to we're going to have to i would be interesting like a stimulus for those kind of people but just the idea of, of paying a, a giant corporation like say like an amazon to hire back folks that they should be hiring back because they're growing again that something doesn't bring right about sure. that to me yeah no I, yeah. I and i totally get that but uh, yeah. I think I think the companies are going to have to be fiscally motivated. I, I, a lot of a lot of the times, companies yeah. don't yeah, maybe they don't won't. do what's right for the global good. They do what's right yes. for the bottom line. That's true, and that uh, is true. So I I I think companies are going to act selfishly, and that's their prerogative. Yeah, like like maybe they'll figure out that they can actually make a decent profit without having to hire those people right. back. Right. Maybe that's what will happen. You're right. Okay, well, great episode, gentlemen. Um, I hope you guys are staying safe. I um, awesome. hope everyone you know is staying safe. And thanks a lot for your feedback and your right. opinions here. Likewise, guys. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode of America on Tap, make sure you leave me a review on your podcast app of choice. Tell your friends about it and tune in next time. Cheers to having a conversation that doesn't end in an angry Twitter rant.